Welcome to the Weird Works Podcast. I'm Dr. Christy, your host. Join us for conversations about alternative and sometimes controversial healthcare topics. This podcast will provide the evidence that you need in order to make informed decisions about your health, to empower you with the facts that you need to advocate for your health, and to encourage you that there is hope your body heals. Join us from experts from all things weird, as well as the testimonies of people with stories of radical healing who were once told that perhaps their condition was a death sentence, that they would just need to live with it, or that drugs and invasive surgery were the only answer. Let's get into agreement that if there is something natural and non-invasive that could be helpful, that it could be your first option rather than your last resort. Hey everybody, it's Dr. Christy here on the Weird Works podcast, and we have returning guest, Captain Stephanie Lincoln. She's a former Army captain, and she's all things keto, so I thought we definitely need to have her come on because she's gone to KetoCon, and she's interviewed um, people that are on the Metabolic Health Summit, like Rob Wolf and Bill Schindler, and she's been a guest on Living La Vida Low Carb with Jimmy Moore, so he's all keto, of course, but more than all her expertise, she definitely is a living testimony of how keto can reverse chronic health conditions and even save your life in the meantime. So Steph, enter Steph. Tell us yes. your journey. I just guess I want to know, like, what, how did you get involved in keto? If you want to start, like, with your own health journey and tell us, like, was keto, like, your first stop or did you kind of fall into it or what happened? Yeah, I, I wish I would have found it a lot sooner. <laughs> um, I, I guess like how a lot of people end up in, in going to your clinical office there and getting help from you guys at Health by Design, um, I was just very sick, very frustrated, and I was not getting the answers about why I was so ill, and especially because I had been struggling with these things and they'd been getting worse and worse since my teens. So basically from the time I, you know, started my period at the age of 15, my health could like just started to decline. So obviously there was a trigger hormonally for me. Um, but also I know now looking back, of course, Monday morning quarterbacking, um, you know, I grew up on the standard American diet. I ate carbs and sugar and processed foods 24 seven. I mean, I can barely remember eating a vegetable. You know, it was just starches and carbs and processed foods. So um, that probably didn't help, you know, when I, when I starting to become an adult and, you know, starting my period and having all those hormonal shifts. So immediately with, you know, mental health symptoms, depression, anxiety, um, you know, severe mood swings. Um, I mean, it was like around my period, it was like, look out, I'd be nauseous. I'd have headaches. It was just horrible. And I started to immediately gain weight. And then of course I went on the, the diet cycles, you know, so, okay, you're, you're a teenager, you're already very self-conscious about your, your body, you're starting to gain weight, you know, and you just frantically over exercising and starving yourself and doing these extreme diets to try and control your weight, you know? So this is in my teens, you know, so it's, it's not getting better at all. It's getting worse. I'm, I started having severe blood sugar swings to the point where I would pass out. I would, um, I passed out in the shower one time. It was very dangerous. I could have died. Um, my mom had to like kick in the door and, and drag me out of the shower and take me to the emergency room. And so, you know, seeing my gynecologist, I would have UTIs constantly, bacterial infections, yeast infections. So I'm, you know, I'm basically in the doctor's office several times a month already, you know, in, in my late teens. So obviously that's, that's crazy frustrating. I mean, I'm, I'm very young. I'm at that point in the army. I'm, you know, athletic and I'm exercising two hours a day and I'm, I'm getting into endurance racing. So, you know, I'm looked at as a young, you know, healthy kind of vital, you know, athletic person, but in the background, I'm having all of these issues. And I mean, I was on several medications, everything from, you know, uh, trying to control my hormones, 
with, you know, hormonal injections and pills to, um, I had cystic acne. I had severe acid reflux. I had horrible constipation. So I was on, you know, daily medications for those things. Um, my headaches, I had chronic headaches. Um, I, I would have daily headaches and I would have migraines on top of that. Um, depression, anxiety, and panic attacks. I was on mental health medications. So by the time I was, you know, in my mid twenties, I was on like six or seven different medications. And then every time I went in, it was just that same answer. It's like, okay, why is this not getting any better? You know, it might work for a little while. And then my symptoms would kind of come back with a vengeance. And it was just like, well, let's try another pill. Let's try another procedure. And I just was I was losing hope. I really was to the point where, you know, in my early thirties and I was gaining weight. So it was getting harder and harder to control my weight. And I really was losing hope. And I, I just was like, if this is it for me, like suffering every single day in, in doctor's offices, you know, several times a month, I don't want to live like this anymore. I really became like, you know, kind of like I, I'm losing hope in life. I wasn't actively suicidal, but I really was just like, is this it for me? Right. I can't, I can't accept this. So I did get to a point where I was just like, you know what, instead of just giving up hope and just, you know, dying early or, you know, and taking my own life or, or, you know, making those kinds of decisions or just giving up, I said, you know what, this is like the definition of insanity. I'm trying the same thing over and over again since the age of 15, right. going to doctors, trying to figure this thing out. I'm not getting the answers. Why do I keep doing this? Why am I still doing this? This is obviously not working, but I'm still doing it because I feel like it was the only option. So I said, there must be something else out there. And I am telling you, Christy, it was that simple. I literally Googled best diets for hypoglycemia. Okay. So I just was, I was, you know, my hypoglycemia is just out of control. I had to carry sugar with me. I had to eat every two hours. I was wow. like, I was so terrified of passing out in the car and getting in a car accident. Right. Yeah. Because that was a real, you know, thing that could happen to me. Yeah. I, man, I passed out and fell in a pool one time. I had a lot of horrific incidences oh or I would just I literally just, yeah. yeah, I would literally just lose consciousness <laughs> like That's because scary. of my blood sugar drops. Yeah. So I looked, did, went to Google and I, you know, scroll, scrolling down, it wasn't the first thing that came up, but okay. I saw this weird word called keto. And I'm like, what the heck is this? Mm -hmm. And then I saw it was kind of affiliated with Atkins and I'd heard about Atkins and I'm like, huh. And I just, it was like, you know what? I'm just going to kind of look up some podcasts. I'm not going to try it. I'm just going to learn more about it. So I found Jimmy Moore's podcast mm -hmm. and he's like one of the biggest names in keto. And he lost like something like crazy, like 250 pounds doing keto. Right. Um, originally he did Atkins. So he's kind of one of the original Atkins guys. OG. Yeah. He's an OG for real. <laughs> and um, so I was like, ah, and I started listening to his podcast. I was like, wow, this is just, it seems like a miracle cure for like all of these things. These yeah. people who are writing in with all these questions about their medical conditions and saying that they had been resolved by keto. So I bought Jimmy's book, Keto Clarity. I read it like in a day. I was like, oh, it blew my mind. And what I loved about the book is that it just simplified the biology. It gave you the science of why this works. Mm -hmm. and I had no reason not to try it. So I tried it. That's awesome. So can you tell us, like, cause I was going to ask you, so tell us what is keto? So maybe in Jimmy's like word simply, like, what does it mean? Keto, ketogenic, tell us a little bit about what that means. I like your analogies. Yeah. <laughs> I always, I, yeah. Cause I'm, I'm, I'm a biology freak and I love the yes. chemistry, but I understand that not everybody's a biochemist, neither am I. Right. So there's, there's a way to kind of translate this where everybody can understand it. So keto is, you know, by definition, a high fat, moderate protein, low carb diet, very low carb diet, I would say very low carb. 
So that's kind of the structure of what a keto diet is. Now, of course, there's variants of it. For me, myself right now, I'm more keto carnivore. So we can talk about that in a little while. Sure. Um, but that's the premise. Okay, so why does it work? So your body only, let's talk about energy. You're, you need energy for your body. And we're told that you need to eat sugars and carbohydrates to have energy right? We've been told this since, since, you know, we were born, right? Right. Well, but when we were born, we were actually ketogenic and we were ketogenic for a very long time. If you drank breast milk anyway, now, if you were formula bottle fed, that's a different story. Right. Babies are ketogenic. I mean, what is milk? Milk has some sugar. It has some lactase in it, but it's a majority fat, right? It should be if the mom is eating, right? Yeah. So we were, our biology was designed to eat a majority of fat. So if you just take those macros from breast milk and eat that way, that's keto. I mean, that's the way your biology was set up to be. So um, our bodies have two sources of energy. That's it. Fat and carbohydrates, period end of sentence. So if you are consuming carbohydrates, you are getting energy, right? And it's fueling the cells and it's making them do what they're supposed to do. The problem is our bodies don't need that much. Remember, let's go back to the baby. Mm -hmm. The baby only needs a little bit of carbohydrates to, to grow and function and develop the way it needs to, right? But it needs a lot of fat. So now translate that to being an adult if we're eating a majority, which most people are, carbohydrates, sure, part of it is being used for the body to function. But the problem is there's so much extra. And the body can't just, you know, make it go away magically. It has to do something with it. Right. So guess what happens? Fat. It gets stored as fat. So all of that body, extra body fat, that you're unhappy with on your body right now, those are extra carbs that you ate stored in there for later. And there's a reason for that. There's a very good evolutionary reason for the fact that our our body didn't figure out some way to secrete that extra sugar. So our ancestors, of course, you know, you didn't know when they were gonna eat. They didn't happen to have grocery stores on every corner, right? They went out, they hunted and foraged, and if they found something great, they would eat it. If not, they didn't eat. So we obviously have survived this long, these thousands and thousands of years as a species. So our bodies were designed to store the extra for later. So when we go through periods of famine, when we can't find food, we have food already stored right on our own bodies. We don't even have to carry it. Well, you have to carry it. It's extra weight, but it's right there. So it it was actually just a a genius biological design to help us survive the periods of time when we couldn't find food and have us survive as a species. Unfortunately, now that we no longer need those mechanisms because food is readily available everywhere to everyone pretty much, we still have those same mechanisms in play. So that that's the, the frustrating part about people who want to lose weight is they don't even understand the basic biology. And if you're not working with your biology and you're just doing the exact opposite, then you're going to fail every time. And that's the definition of insanity. You keep trying the same thing over and over again. It's not working, but you're not aware of the fact that your body operates this way. So you actually have to work with it um, in order to make it burn that stored body fat. The only way to do that is to stop eating carbs. You have to force your body to get into a low carb state where it feels like, ooh, I need more energy, right? We talked about the two sources of energy. I ran out of energy, here's carbs, gone, boom. What's left? Fat. So it's gonna go, hmm, gosh, I need more energy. I need more energy. I'm looking around, there's no more sugar. What happens? I need to keep functioning, I need to survive. Ooh, look at this. Look at this source of energy right here. It's fat right here on the body. And the awesome thing about it is actually it's more calorically expensive to break down fat than it is to carbohydrates. 
it's very cheap to burn carbohydrates. So think of carbohydrates as a cheap source of energy. Now we want to be, you know, bougie. So we want the expensive stuff, right? We want to burn the expensive stuff because we all want to be rich and bougie, right? <laughs> so there we go. So burn that fat. It's more expensive. It's going to burn more energy metabolically, calorically. You're going to burn more calories burning fat. And who doesn't want to burn fat? But you've got to get rid of those carbs, right? So you have to, your body's always going to look for the cheapest source of energy. It just is. It's just cheap. So it, once you take that away, the only option is fat. So do people have to train their bodies to shuttle from that carb source to the fat burning source? Yes, absolutely. So the body will remember it, it takes a while and we call it in the keto world, getting fat adapted. Okay. Now, how long that is depends on how much damage has been done. And what we call it is insulin resistant or insulin sensitive, right? right? So um, let me describe a little bit more biology. This will be kind of my last biology lesson. I'll hang with here. you on so, all the, I, all the <laughs> I know you like this stuff. I don't want to bore your listeners, but uh -huh. here's your last biology lesson that you need to know. Uh -huh. So when we eat, any foods, basically, um, you know, even fat, if we're eating just straight up fat, you will have, what happens is your, your pancreas activates insulin. Insulin's number one job, all it's got one job, mm -hmm. all it's got to do is take the carbohydrates and put them in the cells so they can be used for energy. It doesn't magically happen. It has to be transported. So the carbohydrates have to get in the car which is insulin and the car has to drive them to the cells and they have a little key. So think of a car with a key on the end of it and there's a lock on the cell. So the key has to go in the lock and the car has to unlock the cell to get the carbohydrates to let you let the carbohydrates into the cell. So what happens if you keep shoving a key in a lock? over and over and over and over again for decades and decades, right? It's Where's gonna that? start to get worn down, yeah. right? So what, what we call insulin resistance is the fact that it's not that your body isn't producing insulin. So this is my frustration with the traditional medical system. They don't explain this very well to their patients. And I have had people I've worked with who have type two diabetes diagnoses, and they've been told that their bodies don't produce insulin. Yeah. That is false. Yeah. That is a straight up falsehood. That is a lie. Yeah. You are still producing insulin. Mm -hmm. The problem is your locks are broken. You have a lot of locks that are broken. Not all of them are broken, but a lot of them are. So what happens is the carbohydrates come, they get in the car, we go, we try to unlock it and oh, the lock is broken. So now what? We go to another one. We try that one. That one's broken too. So then you have a bunch of carbohydrates sitting in this, these cars waiting around these cells going, we can't get in. Well, the body, again, we go back to, it can't just magically make it disappear. You need that. You need energy, right? but you can't make that those carbohydrates disappear so what happens it gets stored as fat gotta go somewhere it has to go somewhere so then you'll also see the spillover so you'll um uh you'll you know that some people with type 2 diabetes they um they just this is how they discovered di type 2 diabetes like um in 18 i believe it was they actually discovered that people with type 2 diabetes, these different symptoms, they had very sweet tasting pee. Now, I don't know who decided they were going to taste the pee of these patients, but they're like, hmm, this is some, some sweet pee. <laughs> and I, it's- I think they used to gargle it. Like when people had mouth infections, that's what oh, they yeah. do. Yeah. Yeah. So that's how they just, they discovered type two diabetes is these people ha actually have this spillover because they have so much extra sugar in their blood that have, you know, your body's just frantically trying to store it and put it in the cells that you have this spillover that goes into, you know, is excreted through the kidneys, through your urine. 
So that is an indication that you are a type two diabetic. You just have this high levels of blood sugar. It's because your locks are broken. But the wonderful thing about the body is, like you say, it helps by design. Hey, there is hope. Your body heals. <laughs> you can heal your locks. But the problem is you have to, you have to stop shoving keys in the locks in order to fix it, right? So you can't just say, I need to fix this lock, but you keep shoving the, the key in there over and over again and just right. expect it to magically heal. You have to give it some time to heal. Let it heal from the inside out, but you have to stop shoving the, the keys in there. So that means you have to switch to a very low carb diet to reduce the amount of sugars that are being shoved into the, those keyholes. And I was thinking about it when you were talking about, you know, people, if they run out of the glucose and then they still have fats to burn, but most people freak out like panic, right? Because if they're not a fat adapted, once the carbs eliminate and they still have the fats left, they can feel hungry and irritable. And, you know, they usually give in at that point, right? So that's the problem is they never get past that point. They just give the body more carbs because of discomfort, yes. right? Yeah, there, and there is definitely a period of discomfort um, depending on how insulin resistant you are. Sure. So how badly broken your locks are, it's going to take longer for you to easily switch back and forth from carb burn to fat burn. But your body will remember. It is just like you said, it's actually just discomfort. So just like, you know, forcing yourself to go on a run when you don't feel like it or getting up early to work out, you know, you're supposed to do it. It's uncomfortable, but it's, it, you're not going to die. It's not going to kill you. It's just going to be uncomfortable, but it, you know, it's something that you're supposed to do because it's going to help you get healthier. So it's that, that's how I describe it to my clients that I work with is, yeah, it's going to suck. It's going to suck for a couple of weeks. We do some things to try and help, you know, kind of mitigate some of those discomfort symptoms. A big one is electrolytes mm -hmm. because your body is going to be working harder to, to, um, because again, it's more metabolically expensive to convert fat into, in, into energy. Right. So your kidneys work harder, your entire body, your whole system works harder. So making sure that you're resting well, you're sleeping well, taking care of yourself, your stress levels are reduced. So you're not spiking your cortisol levels and, you know, the insulin anyway, on top of that, when you're trying to control those things, and um, hydration is definitely key, you know, doing some self-care, um, just taking it easy for the first couple of weeks while your body is kind of remembering. It'll remember. And then it'll over time be like switching now. I mean, since I've been doing this for four, almost five years now, I can easily switch back and forth. So if I have a higher carb day or a treat, then it's not like I have to go through that whole process of transition, fat adaptation, and, you know, discomfort all over again. It's easily switched back and forth. I'm good. I'm burning fat the next day. Yeah. Well, and I know what was helpful for me was like kind of training my body in different windows and increasing those windows of time. So is intermittent fasting a good way to get started with keto? Yes, this, it's a huge part of, of keto. Um, I, I, what I do with my clients is first we'll kind of switch to a, a, the macros, get consistent in that lower carb diet, and then we'll start introducing some intermittent fasting, um, especially for those who are much more insulin resistant. This is a, I mean, this will, I, I encourage people to do it because it'll actually heal your body faster mm -hmm. if you do it this way, because right. you truly are getting the inflammation in your body down to like zero, you know, close to depending on your stress levels and everything else going on. But um, you're, you're providing, basically think about it as a, a prime environment for your body to heal. That's what intermittent fasting does. It just sets the, this most, just think about like the, the most beautiful, comfortable um, room you could, you could 
get in to sleep for the night and have the most perfect night's sleep ever, right? So think about what that would look like. Right. You know, it'd be like a dark room. The bed would be all comfy. There'd be like, you know, all this beautiful comforter. There's nobody in the bed, you know, kicking you and <laughs> snoring. <Quiet. laughs> no kids and no dogs no barking. Dog. <laughs> Completely soundproof. You know, the lighting is perfect. It, you know, this beautiful music. And then you just go to sleep. That's what you're providing with intermittent fasting. You're providing this perfect environment within your body for healing. So healing can take place. You're just shoving down the inflammation levels so your body can heal. Yeah. I know another thing that was helpful for me, like while it was getting my body trained to fat adapt was drinking fats while I was doing my intermittent fasting. So like the bulletproof coffee in the morning with some grass fed butter and MCT oil. And then if I needed it mid morning on my work days, like right now I would drink, I would put green tea and I'll put more like coconut cream in the green tea. And so I'm not getting like a huge caloric intake, but I'm getting those fats and it kind of keeps my blood sugar balanced. And I've noticed that when I do that, like I can fast until almost two o'clock in the afternoon now and I'm working, mm -hmm. you know, I'm active. I'm not sitting at a desk or doing anything, you know, sedentary. And usually I wake up and work out. I do a fasted workout and I still can fast until two in the afternoon. So, but I didn't start there. Right. Yes. Yeah. So, so you're obviously fat adapted. You can, yeah. you can go a long time without having to eat, without having hunger pains, without feeling fatigued or like you have low blood sugar and you're shaky or starting to get kind of confused and brain fog. So that takes some time. Um, but yes, it is having some source of fat because again, you're providing your body energy, right? Yeah. So you're, you're not tapping into carbs. You're not forcing that blood sugar, you know, roller coaster that carbs do to you. You're having this steady source of energy because what, what's wonderful, wonderful about fat um, and fat intake is that it's not stored as fat. Yeah. Your body will either use it or excrete it. That's it. So that's, that's the, I mean, that's why I say it's the keto secret. <laughs> like nobody knows about it. <laughs> Your body's not going to store fat as fat. It's going to use it, you know? So if you need the energy, it's going to use it like that MCT in your drink. If your body needs it, it's going to use it. Not it's going to just be excreted. Right. And that goes against what everybody's been told their whole life. Like there is that, you know, connotation that, that fat is the enemy and they're unhealthy. Like people have been preaching of low fat products and diets, like our entire existence. So I think that's the hard part for people to switch over in their brains. It's like fat is not the enemy and you have to eat fat to lose fat. Right. Yes. Yeah. When I first started, I just, because again, I had been chronically dieting since the age of 15, Yeah. you know, and I didn't start this until I was 34, Yeah. 34 years old. I had been doing the low fat, low calorie, you know, thing for ever. And of course it didn't work. So <laughs> when I was like waking up and having bacon and eggs and cheese, I was like, my mind, I can't even like, <laughs> I was freaked out for the first couple of weeks. And I'm like, I just kept saying out loud, I can't believe I'm losing weight. I can't believe I'm losing weight. I can't believe this is happening. Like it was just so unreal to do the exact opposite of what I had always been told. And it actually was working. Right. So I think it's interesting. Let's talk about some of the research, like didn't it start off for like brain issues? Like that was the first thing brain cancers get a lot of um, press with the ketogenic diet. What are some of the other things that have been helped with keto? Yeah. So the, the cool thing about keto and, and people think it's like, okay, here's the first knee jerk reaction. Oh, it's a fad. It's a fad diet. You know, it'll go away just like every other fad diet. Right. Actually, no. Um, so William Banting, who actually was a, uh, he was an undertaker <laughs> um, in England. This was in the early 1800s, like 1810 or 18, oh, something yes. like that. Okay. This was the first, he wrote the first keto diet book. Oh, wow. That's how long this has been around. So he, it, and it was called, um, it was called on corpulence. So corpulence is obesity. He was yeah. an obese man and he decided that 
hey, I'm going to try this. I had, he did some research and, and found in very old texts, even in the 17, 1600s, when they would treat type two diabetics, they would reduce the sugar. And there's documents back into the 1700s from physicians that had the macros that, that showed a very low carbohydrate diet for these type two diabetics. So he said, huh, I should try this. Even though he wasn't type two diabetic, he was obese Mm -hmm. and it worked. He lost a ton of weight. He actually lived into, and this was back in the early 1800s. He lived to be like 85, which is, you know, very, uh, like a very long life for that time. And it was all the rage. It was a fad diet. He created like the first official fad diet. It was like, this works. Um, and then over time, it kind of came back and went away, came back and went away in different iterations. But yes, over time, it has been used to treat, it has been documented back in the 1700s, used to treat um, epilepsy, um, diabetes. Um, they've tried it for pretty much everything else. But um, those are the main two that they've been using since like the 1600s for these, these two conditions and other conditions. So it's not a fad diet. Keto is not a fad diet. It's been around for a very long time. It's been used by medical professionals mm-hmm. for various chronic health diseases. So, you know, let's talk about chronic health diseases. Um, you know, we all know that the obesity rates have skyrocketed and they're continuing to climb. So mm-hmm. right now, 75% of adults in, in the U.S. are overweight or obese and 40% of children are overweight or obese. So a majority of our population by far is overweight or obese, which is alarming in itself. And I, I can't believe this isn't just front page news, like on a daily basis, but the even bigger concern is, you know, so I know that there's a lot of kind of negative connotation with, you know, body shaming and, and obese shaming, but it's not shame. It is a reflection. It's a symptom. Obesity is just a symptom, right? It's a symptom of metabolic disease. So metabolic disease means that you have one of, you know, five risk factors of having some underlying chronic, very serious chronic health conditions that can lead to very serious um, conditions which can you know lead to early death and will put you at risk of of dying early from one of these conditions. So if you um, have a, a, a higher um, waist circumference, if you have a high fasting glucose, if you have a high A1C, which is a measure of your inflammation in your body, if you have high blood pressure, if you have high triglycerides or a poor triglyceride ratio and a very high density lipoprotein, which is the, the, um, the bad, uh, very uh, dense lipoprotein, which causes those little micro cuts in your arteries and your, your circulation systems. Um, and if you're taking any related medications to any of those things, yeah. you are called metabolically diseased. That is a reflection of metabolic disease. And guess what? And this is the saddest thing about it. 88% of Americans are metabolically diseased. They have one, if not more of those things. So that means your, your incidences, your future, if you don't do something about it, you're going to end up getting heart disease, cancer, diabetes, and all the things that go along with diabetes are the, the renal diseases, the loss of sight, the loss of limbs. Um, early death is basically written in your future. 88% fall into this category. It's just, it, it's just mind blowing. Right. And, um, but the, again, there is hope <laughs> the body heals. So I don't care if you're listening to this at the age of 32 or 72 you still have time to start reversing these diseases because your body is equipped to heal itself. Yeah. And I'll just throw in one more um, fact in there. 
um, cancer is now also considered a metabolic disease. Yes. Because now we're understanding that it's related to diet and inflammation and it's like a multi-spectrum thing. And so that's scary because 88% of Americans are at risk for it, but it's positive in the fact that what you're telling us is that you can take control over it. There's something you could do about it. You can prevent it, which is awesome. Yeah. And with, like you said, with newer, newer research going on, um, and more advances in technology and science, we are finding out that all of like almost all of those diseases that we assumed were genetic yeah. were are actually metabolic. Yeah. This is what we're finding out. We thought that Alzheimer's was genetic. Exactly. It's metabolic. It's they're actually now and they'll probably officially change the title at some point instead of calling it Alzheimer's, they're calling it type three diabetes. Yeah. I've heard that. It's crazy. Yeah. So it, if you have any autoimmune issues, any autoimmune um, uh, diagnoses, cancer, these are all, they've all been discovered to be metabolic diseases. So, but the wonderful thing about that is again, it's like, okay, well, you can't really do too much about your genes, but you can do a hell of a lot for your metabolic health. You have control over that. Definitely. Well, and we also know even if that is your genetic predisposition, it doesn't have to be your end of story because your genes can be turned on and off based on dietary influence anyway. So you don't mm -hmm. have to accept that like, oh, well, it's, you know, my parents had it and their parents before them had it. So you can stop that. You can be the end of the road on that. Yeah, I and actually I was just interviewing a, a doctor, a doctor of chiropractic yesterday on my um, podcast, the Warrior Wellness Podcast, and she said it perfectly. She she said, "Yeah, when I when I talk to her clients, and you know they they use that as an excuse. Well, my dad had it, my mom, you know, my, my grandpa, and she's like, no, 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 stop right there. When you walk in a room, the lights are either turned on or off. The right. lights are there." Everybody has the genetic predisposition for anything, right? Anything could happen. Your genes can, can mutate and change, you right. know, they're not fixed. Right. Right. But they there, you have the ability to either turn the lights on or off. Mm -hmm. The problem is your entire family line have decided to turn the lights on mm -hmm. through their lifestyle choices. Right. And it, you, it seems like it's genetic. It's just because it's what you were, you learned from your parents and they learn from their parents. So it seems like it's genetic because it, it's gone down this generational pattern, but really it was just, it's just the way we've always done things, lifestyle genetically, right? So it's, you're either making the choice to follow that or not. So yeah. you can choose to turn the lights off, but you have to make a different choice with your lifestyle. Right, and it's habits, it's all those habits and you know it does take work that's the thing that i've come to realize like not everybody's going to choose what i do or alternative medicine or the keto lifestyle simply because it takes work and it takes effort right it's not a quick fix magic pill and so <laughs> people are just wanting all of that then you know this isn't gonna, we are not talking to that generation of people right right well we get into this feedback loop so here's here's why 88% of people aren't doing it, right? Right. It's a feedback loop. And it we get, we're people, and I was stuck in it too, sure. right? It's just, you're in this box and you're only given this much information, right? right? Through the traditional medical system, through the government guidelines on health and diets, you know? Yeah. The power so, be. Right. So you're only, you're, you're put in this box. You're only given a certain amount of information until you decide I'm going to step out of this box and do the work and do the research and educate myself and see what else is out there. You're always going to be in that feedback loop. You're going to do like I was doing, you know, just repeating the same things over and over and expecting a different result. Right. Right. And that's the definition of insanity. Yeah. So get out of the insanity box. You have to, to motivate yourself to do that. And the, and the issue is like, I, like for me, thank goodness I made that choice, but I was 
kind of like a kicked dog at that point. And I think people get so frustrated and so sick and so like, I've lost hope that you don't even have the energy or the motivation to crawl out of the box at that point. And it's a sad feedback loop because you just lose hope and you're just like, well, why try? I'm just going to sit in this box. Yeah. Kind of like, how, how is this, you know, like people will say like, well, I've tried every other diet. I've sought out, you know, professional expert advice. Nobody else has been able to help me and nothing else has worked. So how are you, or how is this going to be any different? Like we get that all the time, right? Mm -hmm. Exactly. And, you know, and, and the issue is, well, A, you know, if, if you just give up, you give up. You're going to sit in the box and nothing is going to change. You are guaranteeing that, you yeah. know, signed, sealed, and delivered. Boom. You just wrote your, 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 <laughs> your death sentence, right? You just wrote it. So if you believe that, then that's fine. But, you know, if you can get to a place where you believe, yes, there is something out there, yeah. it might take me some time to find the right programs for me, the right, um, and it's not just one thing, you know, again, like we we're humans, we try to simplify it, we try to make it magic. That's not the way it is. The body is very complex. And I remind my clients all the time when they start getting that headspace of, well, this is taking too long, or I'm not getting enough results, or it doesn't seem like it's working fast enough. Like, you didn't get sick overnight. It's true you didn't get to this place overnight. So now all of a sudden you think it's going to magically, you know, cure, you get just cured. Hallelujah. I'm, I'm cured overnight. No, right. You have to give it an equal amount of time. You need to be willing to give it an equal amount of time that you took to get yourself sick. Right. Right. So for me, it was 34 years. Mm -hmm. I'm only five years into this process. Yeah. Right. So that's what I have to keep reminding myself of is, well, it took me 34 years to get sick. I'm going to give it 34 years to get well. And then, man, I'm going to be rocking it when I'm almost 70. (laughs) You're already rocking. She's already rocking. She's already rocking. But I think what you're trying to say is that this isn't a short-term thing. Like it isn't a diet. It's not a 21-day fix or a 10-day challenge. You know, I get so crazy. I'm like, everybody's got their magic number and put in fix or challenge or weight loss program or whatever the word that inspires you and makes magazine cover is beautiful but we're telling you like this is a lifestyle but that's good because it is sustainable you know yeah and it is about kind of um you know i do a lot of the eating psychology work with my clients i'm Uh I'm a mental health background um you know psychology is 90 percent of it and it is about addressing those bad habits it is about identifying your addictions to food and yeah. how, um, you know, we place as a society and as individuals so much emotion into these foods that have been destroying us from the inside out. Right. And we cling to them like, you know, death itself is going to happen if I have to give this thing up. Yeah. You have to identify that that's not normal. That's an addiction, right? That's the addiction part of this talking. And you have to understand that, unfortunately, it's the only addiction that exists where we can't just say, stop eating food, right? (laughs) Stop just, hey, if you're addicted to crack, stop doing crack, right? You know, (laughs) but it's like, I can't just tell somebody, well, you're addicted to food. So, you know, stop with the food. It'll be fine. (laughs) Right. right. Yeah. Just don't go to restaurants and don't put things in your mouth and you'll be good. Well, yeah. Okay. You'll start to death. So right. that's the problem. You can't tell a crack addict, well, just do a little crack, you know, like everything in moderation, you know, that's like, I hate that term. Like, I just want to strangle people who say that. It's like, uh-huh. you cannot say that to an addict, right? It is, True. it is an addiction and you yeah. have to clear your, yourself, your psyche, your, your mental, you know, ties to, the, the feelings associated, the emotions associated, the right. serotonin and dopamine spikes associated with these foods. Yeah. And maybe people can take a look at like, 
why is food such um, such the epicenter of their happiness? Like, what are they missing elsewhere in life that they're seeking to get out of enjoyment from food? Because you have to build some other sources of satisfaction in, right? Oh, yeah. And that's scary. That's, that's, that's threatening. That's a threat, right? Because food is safe. Yeah. Food is my best friend. It doesn't judge me. We don't get in the fights. You know, it's always, always there when there. I need it. <laughs> right. I can, I can ha- have it, have food at 2 a.m. or 1 p.m. Yeah. It is the best of best friends. Right. Yeah. Makes me feel good. It's, it's wonderful. It makes me feel all fuzzy. So, yeah, that's hard to, that's threatening when you tell somebody, well, you got to give that up. It's like, well, uh, no, you're telling me to get rid of my best friend. I mean, that's, that's hard. That's, yeah, that's really that. hard to process. Yeah, exactly. But it also is, you know, what I have my clients do is kind of repeat back to me, maybe using other words mm-hmm. when they get defensive like that. And when they start kind of defending, being able to have those foods still when they're on this journey and, you know, I have to remind them, it's like, doesn't that make, it makes me sad. Yeah. It makes me kind of like want to cry. Doesn't it make you want to cry? Like dude's your best friend. Yeah. Like you, you prefer that over everything else. Right. You're willing to sacrifice your life. Right. Gosh, like that is like, that makes me want to just lay down and cry yeah. because it really is. If you just put, put it in that perspective, it really is that choice. Yeah. And it's like, gosh, wouldn't you want like maybe a relationship (laughs) with a human being to be that powerful and wonderful, right? And how about you start putting that energy into working on those relationships instead of the energy you put into having that food as your best friend? But other sources of serotonin as well, like endorphins and exercising and building some of those things in, you know, maybe it's a new hobby. Maybe it's something that just brings you joy or excitement, right? Mm -hmm. Right. And it's all about exploring and finding, I always say like finding other sources of your drug, you know, you have other sources of your drug out there waiting for you. You just have to find them. You have to be willing to search for those things and find those things and add that to your list of, of drugs. Right. I mean, we we're animals. I mean, we, we are basic, very basic um, beings. We are animals. So we either seek pleasure or, go away from pain. Right. That's all we do all day, guys. Yeah. I'm sorry. That's just, that's it. We're human beings. We're animals. That's what we do. So <laughs> find more sources of your drug. You know, there are things out there that trigger the serotonin and dopamine and go out there and find those things. Maybe you'll, you'll go take a dance lesson and find out, man, you're a damn good salsa dancer and mm-hmm. you know, do that. And you feel sexy and you feel happy and you feel, you know, like full of life. Right. And, you know, that's compare that to, you know, having your, your, you know, milkshake and your burger, you know, takeout. That's, uh, that's not even compared. Sure. The burger milkshake tastes great, but does it give you that kind of life and joy of something you find, like, you know, you found in, in dance or whatever it is. I don't care what it is, but there are sources out there. You just have to go out and find them. And looking for like something like like dancing or a new hobby, that's something that can be on repeat and can be forever. And maybe you actually make new friends and a whole new social circle where food fulfills you for seconds and then it's gone. And so right. all you can do is then turn towards more food to keep the same endorphin level up. So right. again, it's very short-term thinking. People, It's amazing how people are willing to almost kill themselves for just a short little fix. Right. Right. And we're animals and and that's what we're kind of, you know, biologically trained to do. And, you know, we, we, we look for the easy fix the the least, you know, amount of energy, the least amount of time. I understand the drive. We, you know, we, you have to understand the drive behind it. That's the other thing is, you know, that's, I mean, that's basically what I'm doing with my clients is kind of an addiction recovery process. It's the same like steps that you take, like in 12 step programs, it's like for the first step is awareness. You have to know that you're addicted first. You have to acknowledge that you have to acknowledge those those maladaptive connections that you have with food 
you have to identify that you can't just be in denial and go through this process and be successful. It's not going to happen. If you don't hit that first step and acknowledge, Hey, I've been self-destructive and with these connections with food, and I have been making the choice to slowly kill myself. And why is that? What's, what's, what hole am I trying to fill in my life with food? Yeah. I need to find other ways to fill that hole, healthy ways to fill that hole. And right. I'm still getting the, the beautiful, wonderful serotonin and dopamine and all those happy feelings, but without killing myself slowly. Right. And maybe to identifying, like, just remember why we eat in the first place. It is to, you know, fuel our bodies and nourish ourselves and give us all those building blocks. So maybe journaling, like we're big on food blogging here, but not just writing down what you eat, but maybe the triggers, like, why did you eat? Because there's all different reasons why people put food in their mouth. You've talked about emotional comfort. We didn't talk about social settings yet, like just joining in, you know, uh, boredom is a big reason. But ideally, we would only eat when we're hungry, right? right. And then beyond that, with the keto being fat adapted, like you could be hungry, but be able to ignore it and not panic and freak out and search, you know, reach for something because it's been only two hours since you last ate. Right. Exactly. And yeah. And that's kind of the mantra with keto is um, I heard this on, on Rob Wolf's podcast actually. And I I use it kind of as a mantra now is, you know, so the food is fuel period. And you have to keep reminding yourself of it. When you have cravings, you need to step back and identify, do I really need fuel right now? Yeah. No, because I'm, because I'm tracking. Yeah. I know I had enough calories. I had, I met my macros, blah, 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 blah. I have enough energy and plus I have body fat. So really, if I needed it, <laughs> my body can go and tap into that. Right? right. So, so then you kind of pump the brakes and go, Hmm, what's behind this craving? What's behind this desire to, to eat right now? And it's usually something else. It's stress. It's, you know, I didn't sleep very well or I'm bored or I got in a fight with my husband. You know, it's like it, there's something there. Right. So it's identifying that and going, okay, what's a, what's a healthy way, a non-eating way to kind of resolve this issue and, and, you know, and kind of disconnect that, that connection with the only way I can feel better is if I have, you know, ice cream right now. Right. You know, because then you're just strengthening that tie of yes. the only way I can resolve is if I have sugar. So yeah. you just, you're, you're training your brain to only accept that as the only resolution to every problem that comes up. Right. Um, so I just wanted to ask you, so of course, like people are listening and hopefully my hope is that, you know, with all of these even if you're just first time hearing about keto and still like on the fence and considering it, you know, that at least this will spark some interest that you can start advocating for yourself and not accepting ill health or obesity or a little overweightness, like for life, that that's not your long-term sentence. And also that you will continue to do research to find out more, you know, about other things that you can do. But, you know, I understand when people are already not feeling good they're low on energy maybe they've got physical pain they are not as active and ready to just like jump out and start salsa dancing or doing something super extremely active so where is a good starting place for people yeah and i definitely don't encourage most people to try this on their own yeah um because you could probably now that keto has been around kind of in the mainstream for a while. Um, a lot of people say, well, I tried keto. It didn't work. Yeah. You I, know? Hear yeah I hear that all the time. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's like, if I've had a dime for every time I've heard that. Right. So it, the issue is once you, once I start breaking down and asking some relevant questions, it's like, Oh, okay. Well, what were your macros? Oh, well, I don't know. I just ate high fat. Okay. Well, (laughs) okay. That means you didn't track. That means you didn't, you know, you weren't even aware of the foods that you were eating and tracking your macros and seeing if you were actually eating at a ketogenic level. So there you go. Failure number one right there. Mm -hmm. So I definitely encourage those listening out there. If you want to, you know, learn more about this, definitely first, you know, check out the, the awesome keto podcasts that are out there. 
um, read Keto Clarity. That was like the number one thing that I did. Um, but get a coach, you know, go to Health by Design, see that one of their nutrition counselors, um, hire somebody like me. There's plenty of keto coaches out there um, who can kind of give you a starting point. Um, and if, if anybody you talk to tells you to do some crazy extreme stuff, then you need to run in the opposite direction. Yeah. Start slow, start slow. Just, you know, first of all, start tracking your food because you can't change what you can't measure. Right. And what you can't confront. That's the thing about writing it down is you have to confront it and take a look at it. Yeah. It's that step one in the 12 step process, right? It's awareness. Yes. If you are not willing to track and, and consistently kind of confront every day, what you're putting in your mouth, you're not going to be able to go any further on this journey at all. It's because you are refusing step one, which is awareness, right? So you cannot control what you cannot track. So just start tracking your food and you're probably going to be shocked. It's going to, it's going to be a a hard lesson. You're going to be like, I'm eating how many carbs? Yeah. How much sugar? Yeah. And my, I'll use it since he walked out since he can't hear me now, (laughs) I'll use my husband as an example. So, um, I, you know, I subtly encourage him have over time and, uh, I kind of started now he's, he's pretty much keto. Um, but he still adds sugar to his coffee and his tea. I mean, it's just, that's the one thing he just will not give up. Right. So I said, Hey, why don't you just track? Why don't you just track over a week? You know, how much sugar you actually, he's like, Oh, I just only put a little bit in. It's only a little bit. It's only like a teaspoon. It's not a teaspoon. I watch him do it. It's like (laughs) I keeping spoonful and he has probably six or seven to 10 cups of coffee and tea a day. Like he is, he drinks a lot of caffeine. So he, he tracked and he was like, uh, I cannot believe, I mean, it was something like crazy, like, uh, like a half a pound of sugar in, in a week. And he's like, okay, I'm, I'm going <laughs> to, I'm going to switch. And he switched to Splenda. So that's, it, it was just that first step. He had been resisting, resisting, resisting number step number one, just awareness. And when he finally got that information, it was like, whoa. I didn't realize how bad it was. Yeah, That's probably going to happen to you once you start tracking, which is great. Right. You have to have that wake up call. Well, and what there's some, and also like just Google like um, images, like graphic images of like the equivalence of a half a pound of sugar. If you saw a half a pound of sugar, like you had a bag of sugar and you poured it out in a container and just kept that out for your eyes to see like how much you consume in a week or a day or a month it would repulse you, you know, or you would be, mm-hmm. maybe even sometimes you can get motivated by anger that like, you didn't even know that that sugar was in the food. How do they not, how do these companies get away with not telling you? Like, maybe you just need a little, like, you know, slap in the fanny to get like, it is. Wake up call yeah. look, because sometimes like people start and they get mad and I'm like, well, that's a good step actually. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. Some action with it. <laughs> right. I, I had that happen with a client. Um, she, I had suggested to her, her, so she had two children mm-hmm. um, and she kind of came to me like desperate. She was just desperate. Her, her like seven-year-old little boy was about to get expelled from school because his behavior was so bad and they had tried ADHD medications that this and that. And I said, and, you know, I kind of subtly hinted like, Hey, um, have you tried any diet changes? Have the doctors recommended any? Of course they hadn't. Right. And I, I said, you know, I'd love to work with you. Let's, let's do this. So she was desperate. And so we, we started from scratch and I said, I'm going to go to the grocery store with you. Tell me when your, your weekly grocery, you know, I'll meet you out. So we went and I said, I'm just going to walk by you and you just pick up and put in your cart what you normally do. And first, right off the bat, she put something in her cart and I said, okay, now let's pick it up. Let's turn it over and let's look at the ingredients. Yeah. 
she was in tears by five minutes in. She was literally crying in the middle of the grocery store. She thought she was making healthy choices for her kids. She really was duped. You know, she, by the marketing, she was buying organic, you know, and, and, you know, heart healthy and, you know, all those things that they put, all the labels that they pay for, that they pay for. And when we, all we had to do was turn it over and look, and she, she was devastated, but it did fuel, it fueled her change. It made her so upset and mad. And it fueled her behavior. And I'm telling you, she changed up her, we put, you know, we just swapped out. Just, I mean, we made very simple changes. We just swapped out. Okay, now let's look for a healthy version of this. And all we did was just make subtle changes and what her kids were already eating, swapped out healthy. Within two weeks, he was like a different kid. And they- So resilient. And it's even funnier because she's like, it's even funnier because she said the teacher came to her and was like, wow, what medication are you using? I want to recommend it to my other parents. Uh, and she's like, food. I mean, food. That was it. That was the medication. It was switching him out of a high carb, high sugar, high process, all the dyes and, you know, all these things that are affecting their developing brains and just clean eating lower carb, you know, not crazy sugars, just whole foods. And he was a different kid. It's so simple, right? Yeah. And, and the wonderful thing about that is, Hey, she's starting them early. You know, they, they're set up for success for the rest of their life. Unfortunately, I wasn't, you know, I was, I grew up on that shit. You know, it's like, I literally like damage was done my entire, my mom used to put soda in my bottle there's pictures of me with soda in a baby bottle. So yeah, I was not set up for success. So I am a testament to, it's not too late, no matter how much damage has been done. You know, I, I remember getting migraines when I was five, I was on Tylenol, adult Tylenol for my headaches. I had panic attacks. Yeah. You know, now looking back, I see how sick I was my entire life. Yeah. And it was just due to all those chemicals and toxins and sugars and just my high inflammatory body developing and a lot of damage was done. So it's not too late. It doesn't matter how old you are, how, how much weight you feel like you need to lose, how many conditions you have and diagnoses, how many medications you're on, your body has the ability to heal. It does. Amen, sister. (laughs) Well, and I'm Italian. I always say that. Like, I grew up around my grandparents' dining room table. Like, all the events, all the company, all the pictures, all the photographs are all of us around the dining room table. And, like, they would just eat until they couldn't eat anymore. And they were, like, mopping the sweat off their foreheads because I guess it's the cardiovascular exercise to eat that much food. <laughs> they would undo their belt buckles to make space so they could keep eating. And luckily I did not follow in those footsteps. I thought they were all crazy. And I was just like, just stop eating. You're clearly uncomfortable. So thank God that I didn't because it could have been so easy. But even though I didn't, I still was raised on like bread and pasta. And there was like baked goods and dessert after every single meal, including breakfast. And so I guess I just want to tell them like it's everybody has to start somewhere. And there is life after carbs. Like I always say that like I'm a busy, busy person. I have a high powered job. Like I'm physical all day, all week long. And you know, you can make this an importance. You can definitely do it, but I still have a social life. I still go out to eat. I enjoy food. I'm not eating like twigs and berries. I think that's what people tend to think like, well, (laughs) you might be able to eat bird food because you're little, but it doesn't have to be that. So I love what you were saying about the grocery store tour, because if we just look at it as like, you know, deprivation and restriction psychologically, like that's not going to work. That's not sustainable. That's not healthy. It's not empowering either. And so finding healthy substitutions and even sometimes maybe looking at it, you know, as a fun experiment, an opportunity to try new foods that you wouldn't other try and find different ingredients and how to swap things out, like for your favorite recipes, right? I mean, there's just so much information that's out there and available nowadays to help us with this. 
Right. And that's why that's the wonderful thing about this is that, you know, thank goodness this is happening in, in this age. You know, the Internet is just an open book. So, you know, I, I tell all my clients, there is not one thing I guarantee you there is not one thing that you love to eat that we can't find a healthy alternative. Yeah. It it you're going to maybe have to do some work and make it yourself. Right. 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 But. I can guarantee you, you will not have to give up anything. If you love a specific dish and you, you want pizza, you know, you can do a low carb pizza. There are, I mean, I think on the fire team whiskey website, we have like 10 different recipes for low carb pizzas. So there, you don't have to give up anything. It's just taking a step back and, and examining why you're so resistant to finding a healthier alternative. Sure. It's not, you know, your the pizza hut takeout or whatever that you used to get every Friday, but maybe, you know, you turn this into a, a nice family time activity where you and your kids, you know, get the ingredients from the grocery store and you make your own pizza at home. Like how much fun is that? I used to love making pizza with my dad when I was a kid yeah. at home you know, instead of just calling it the delivery guy. So it's about not only you're, you're sourcing and, and introducing quality ingredients and nutrients into your body, but you're turning it into a lovely, you know, wonderful family time. So you're getting all that dopamine and serotonin that you would have gotten from the high carb, you know, gluten stuff and the sugar that they put into their doughs yeah. and, you know, turn it into something healthy for you. So, you know, there's always an alternative. You're never going to have to give something up. But if you feel that you're resisting it, that means there's a need behind it. The addiction is talking. So you have to pump the brakes and examine what's that hole I'm trying to fill? Why am I so resistant to this? Why do I, I'm not willing to do the work to do the healthy thing for myself and my family and just do the easy thing, but I know it's going to harm me. True. So if people at this point are starting to listen and getting interested, um, where can they find you? Because I know you definitely have a lot of resources. You mentioned the website. Tell listeners where to find you. And of course, like we'll put all the links that you mentioned, including the Keto Clarity book in the show notes. But where can they find you? Yeah, um, fireteamwhiskey.com is where you'll find me. We have a we have fitness programming. We have nutrition coaching. So um, we start where you're at and I'm happy to do a 20 minute free consultation call with you to get a little bit of information from you to get to know where you're at, what your goals are, where you need to be and make the right recommendation for you right now. So, you know, I never make a recommendation to somebody who's not ready for it and, you know, we'll get you on the right program, the right first steps. Um, I just encourage everybody out there, even if you don't use Fireteam Whiskey or Health by Design, you have to get a guide. I don't do this alone. Get a guide, get some information um, and get somebody to help you in this journey and be patient with yourself. It took this long for you to be sick. It's going to take a while for you to heal, but be patient, stick to it. I'm so glad I did. I know Dr. Christie is so glad she did too because with all of, I know you had tons of medical issues and surgeries and all sorts of, you know, you lost hope too. You know, we're both here as testaments to the fact of just persistence and patience and, and really believing that our, that there is hope and your body's going to heal. It's just going to take some time and some effort to do that. Maybe a little TLC. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, exactly. Well, that's awesome advice. I think it's very encouraging. Um, So thank you very much for helping our audience understand keto, that it's not just a fad and that, you know, there's some science and research behind it. Hopefully um, people either contact you to get started right away or start reading a book or find a podcast or whatnot. But we're going to sign off for now. Uh, This has been an awesome episode. I know I learned a lot from it. And so, Dr. Christie, I usually say in good health naturally, but this time I'm going to sign off assuring you that there is life after carbs. Until next time. Bye, guys.